Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 380 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, it's been so good to hang with you in the middle of, uh, well, uh, what has been the most insane year that I have ever lived through. And um, yeah, I love doing this with you. Today, uh, I've got Beth Moore on the podcast. This is really exciting. Um, found out a couple years ago, she's a listener to the podcast. It's so amazing to see who who listens and subscribes. And uh, ran into her in a green room at an event we were doing in LA. And I said, I'd love for you to come on the podcast. So a little bit later, fast forward to today, and we've got her. And I'll tell you, it is a fascinating conversation. And if you wonder how to navigate the online world, I promise you, probably it's not as complicated as it is if you were Beth Moore. So we go there and we talk all about that and how she handles her critics and all that stuff. And I know a lot of you are navigating that right now. And this episode is brought to you by Promedia Fire. You can get an amazing website and custom graphics weekly with Promedia Fire's new digital growth bundle by going to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. And by Leaders in Living Room, a new podcast that launched this year. You can subscribe, uh, well, at Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to this one. And uh, it's one that's on my regular rotation as well. So yeah, in this episode, uh, Beth and I talk about how she stayed engaged in social media. Like, why didn't she just quit? Because she's been involved in, well, quite a few controversies online. And uh, how does she handle her critics? How does it not get into her head? When does it get into her head? She is the founder and president of Living Proof Ministries. She has authored numerous best-selling books and Bible studies. She's a dynamic teacher whose conferences take her across the globe. She's also somebody who's really devoted to her family, lives in Houston, where she leads Living Proof Ministries. And uh, she is equipping women and actually many men around the world to uh, study and explore the scriptures. So uh, Beth is someone I've followed for years, and it's just a thrill to have her on the program. I just want to say welcome to all of you who are new listeners as well. Uh, this has been a, an unprecedented year for the podcast. And if you are new, hey, it's really good to meet you. So this is what we do. We just try to bring you behind the scenes conversations and try to figure out, you know, what is it like to be in leadership if you're Beth Moore or Andy Stanley or Patrick Lencioni or some of the various guests. I found out recently that the general manager of the LA Lakers listens to our podcast. He reached out. So I'm going to have Rob Palinka on. And uh, it's just fascinating to see, yeah, uh, what all of you are up to. And I'd love to hear from you. So if you can give me a shout out on social, just connect there on Instagram. I'm Kerry Newhoff, Facebook and Twitter. I'm C Newhoff. I know that's impossible to spell. So you can go to the show notes and uh, to my website, kerrynewhoff.com. Even if you misspell it, you'll find it or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. You'll find it there. But I just love to connect with you. And if you would be so kind, if you find this encouraging, leave a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, we're so grateful for you. And just love being in this together as we try to figure all of this out in real time. So this episode is brought to you by Promedia Fire. Do you know, think about being a megachurch, okay? There are some now in the U.S. that have like dozens of campuses, but they always have a remote team that is serving their campuses. It's not like every campus like, you know, duplicates uh, what what the other campuses are doing. Well, in the same way, Promedia Fire and ProWeb Fire have come together 
uh, to equip your church, whether it's large, medium, or small, with very similar resources to what a mega church would enjoy with their central offices. So they got a brand new digital growth bundle to help your church in the city where you live, and they do it all remotely. So here's what it includes. A digital growth bundle includes a custom-built website. Note to file, do you know how expensive those are if you try to get them done custom? Yeah, a lot more than the digital growth bundle. You also get a web team who is updating your website weekly, a graphic design team creating all your design needs from print to social media graphics, and a bonus brand identity package for a new logo or brand on any department. The pricing is simple, no upfront fees, and a monthly flat rate price. So you can check out the launch price today. You'll save a lot of money by going to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. And then leaders in living room, man, I'll tell you, I have so enjoyed Sean Morgan's leadership. I've gotten to know Sean over the last couple of years. I I joke that he is the um, best connected, least known leader in the church, although that's changing pretty quickly. And um, Sean interviews guests. And one of the things I love about podcasts, I think this is a good podcaster, okay? Because I've interviewed a lot of the people that Sean has interviewed. Uh, but then when I hear his interview, like he gets them to say things that like I, I didn't get them to say. And I really work hard on my interviews. So um, it is not duplication. You actually just learn. It's like turning a jewel. You just learn new things every time you turn it a little bit. Uh, he's talked to people like Andy Stanley, Derwin Gray, Nikki Gumbel, Lisa Turkers that you've heard on this show. But again, angles it differently. And I, I just love the conversations. Also, Ray Johnson, Hosanna Wong. And you can get the Leaders in Living Room podcast. It's growing rapidly by going to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, or it's brought to you by CDF Capital. And you go to cdfcapital.org where you can find Leaders in Living Rooms there as well. So I really hope you do that. Hey, we choose our partners really, really carefully. And these are people I believe in and causes I believe in. And I think they're going to benefit you. So make sure you check that out. We got links to all that in the show notes. You can go there at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 380. And without much further ado, let's get into my conversation with Beth Moore. Beth, it's such a thrill to have you on the podcast, man. We we got started talking and I'm like, we better just like capture some of this, right? So, so glad to have you. This has been a long time oh, coming. I could not be happier. I have to tell you, Kerry, that one reason why I was a pretty immediate yes when you asked me is because I really, really love your leadership podcast. I really love it. I have listened to so many episodes. That's so humbling. You have no idea how humbling that is. Because, you know, here I am in my basement and I said, hey, I got to put a pillow in the window to keep the sun from coming in on me on video. So, you know, it's pretty humble stuff. But thank you. Oh, I really appreciate I it. it. You know, I, I love interviews. I love uh, podcasts where there is good preaching or teaching. I certainly do enjoy that. But what I really am most drawn to in a podcast is an interview uh, style because I, you know, I love getting to know people. And I also love to hear how other leaders are, uh, are, you know, making it, how they're, how they're enduring. And so, oh man, I've enjoyed it. So I'm very happy to be on here. That's very humbling. And it's so great to have you. Now we were talking social media and, uh, (laughs) You are one of the few people who still really enjoy Twitter, and that is you yes. on Twitter, right? Is that not? Well, yes. And what what I was saying for you who are um, are listening or viewing that um, one of the reasons why I love Twitter is I I don't I don't like the trash on there. I don't like the the um, dumpster fire any more than anybody else does. And I you know I don't enjoy trolls and all of that. But what I do love is that I. 
I, I love for somebody to make me think I love dialogue. I love, I love the communication of just, just, uh, just, just words, expressions. I love to learn from people. And so I've made some friends on there, especially, and I'm sure we're going to circle around to it at some point, especially in a difficult time Mm -hmm. in the last, in the most recent years, sort of finding some people. I, I don't need people to think, uh, just like me, Carrie, um, I never have needed that. I came from a big family. We were very, very diverse in personality and in opinion. I've got a lot of room for that. But I've at least got to know I'm not just alone. And so I really found some wonderful people, wonderful friends, and just wonderful thinkers. So I I do really like it. But it it, it can be a lot. It can be a lot. Well, every every uh, social platform has its own personality, right? And, and I said to you, uh, sometimes when I haven't been on Twitter in a little while, my team will post on my behalf, but I'll go in and I'm like, I haven't been to a back alley and gotten beaten up in a while, so I think I'll go on to Twitter. But like you've you've endured you've endured some real stuff on there, man. If you hate yourself that day, go get on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wow. But you, how do you, how do you keep your presence of mind on Twitter? Because you've been, um, well, you've been beat up in the back alley there too. So what do you do? What do you do? And in the front alley. And in the front alley, correct. All the alleys, all the alleys, you've been beat up there. Uh, Carrie, all the alleys. You know, um, a good friend of mine that I'm sure is a mutual friend of ours, such a, a leader, um, in the church and, he and I were talking. I said, Beth, why on earth do you do that? He said, I just don't ask that question. I'm why like, do you, what are you doing there? Why do you get into that? Well, he's like, I mean, be on it. But why do you have to get into any of that? Why do you have to get into the stuff that is going to be controversial and all of that? And, you know, I told he said, I just don't do any of that. I said, you because the Lord is not calling you to that. But, but, but if you, if you were calling you to that, yes, yes, you would. Yes, you would. And the best way I know to tell you is that the Lord, he just, for the time being, he just, it's a place, it's a place where he has me. It is a place where it is a public square. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And it's, you know, do we have the stamina, um, the, strength to hang in there sometimes the craziness the foolishness to stand in that public square and speak when we know we're going to be hit that hard and so it's always a question of what what's worth it and man if it is something deeply convictional man it all i know to say is for whatever reason god gave me a very very a strong sense of conviction where at that moment, if I feel really deep conviction to say something, um, Carrie, I don't have one ounce of fear about it. Hmm. Like later, I'll look back after a message. Sometimes I'll look back later on it and think, are you nuts? Have you ever done that, Carrie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So strongly that you later go, I cannot believe I said that. And especially in the morning, let me say this. I'm, I'm not sure who's interested in this and you can cut this out if it's not interesting, but you can watch a difference in, in me, in, in my Twitter activity in the morning and in the evening. 
because in the morning I'm coming straight out of my prayer time. Mm. So I get up, I'll have my, um, my time with the Lord, my time in the scriptures. And it'll be after that, if I'm going to say anything, that's going to be it. And you can tell, I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's going to be straightforward. It's I hope it's going to be loving, but it's going, it's going to be that kind of thing that there is just no fear, just no fear. But in the evening, I, I always wonder, is it because my quiet time has faded? <laughs> then it's going to be the much sillier version. And the, you know, then I'm usually um, going to be in a, in a little more humorous mood. But uh, I don't know. I, I love dialogue. I love going, going back and forth with people, especially during COVID, all of us that are normally speakers and teachers out in sanctuaries and in and event centers and all these kinds of things. Oh my goodness, this is just not a day when we're getting a lot of interaction. And so for me, that's where some of that feedback is coming from. And, you know, some of the um, criticism I get is valid and I learn mm-hmm. from it, but I learn from a ton of people on uh, Twitter. I, I really do. So I don't know. I'm sure someday I'll just be like, okay, I'm done. And then that's just it. Like I'm, I'm off and that's You'll all be done. But, but you know, I, th- I like that forum of the public square. Cause I think you're right. That is Twitter at its best. It's not always at its best yeah. and not everybody no, uses that. And what I, and what I sense, cause I've followed you for a while now on Twitter and I'm like, yeah, that has to be Beth. That can't be her team. Um, you know, <laughs> would never get me in that much trouble. They would never get you in that. I'm like, that's her. But you are, you are taking a stand, but there are people who bait people. Do you know what I mean? And I don't see you in that category. I see you as principled. I see you as passionate, but I don't think you're trying to pick a fight. Sometimes you're calling truth out. Sometimes you're calling issues out or leaders out. But I don't feel like you're 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 baiting for a fight. How do you like? Is that just you? How do you figure out the line? Do you have to edit yourself? How do you process the criticism? I'm just interested. Okay, for one thing, I was eight questions. You have to know going into social media. This would be on any platform right now on any of them because I've even seen it start on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, it's such a shame because that's it's tended to be the the real respite among her. It's civil. still the it's place. civil it's still on Instagram nice for the most but part. Every now and then I'll see it on there. But we have to accept and I've told some of the young women that I mentor in my in um in min, in ministry I, that there is a certain amount of man, if you I hate to use this old uh, colloquialism, but if you can't take the heat, then you 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 better get out of that kitchen mm-hmm. because it's just going to be there. So as a certain amount of it, you just accept. Um, I've also learned how to recognize. Oh my goodness, Carrie, I'd give anything if I had known this. We were not this um, indoctrinated in it, say four or five years ago. But I wish I could have recognized at that time what we know now, and that's how to tell who's a troll and who, you know, right. you can tell if you go look at accounts that those are not even real accounts. There's not, they're not uh, real, real life individuals that are interacting behind them. It's just all sort of a, a, a scam and a game and a strategy, but it doesn't mean anything. And so I've learned to look past that. I've also learned to look past the ones, there are people that are just flat, their identity is in the argument and in the, that what makes them feel tall is to make you feel small. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got so baptized in it. I told a friend of mine this last night that 
messaged me because he was asking me if something bothered me. I said, no. Uh, I said, uh, some of it does. Some of it does. It depends on how personal it is. And by that, I mean, if it's coming from the world that I have most served and loved, they are still capable of really, you know, piercing my heart because that's my, you know, my, my tradition and my the closest part of my family of the faith. But a lot of it, I've been so baptized in, in that fire that the small burns don't really hurt. And some of them I think are hilarious. I was saying just last night, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I I get over and over out of revelation. I get the, the um, portion out of revelation that is about the uh, great mother of, of prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm always forever wondering, I don't know. Am I, I, I want to ask him, you know, am I, Am I the great mother or this is this just <laughs> so you know I'll just be so some of it's so insane I don't pay any attention to it, but there is there is value to it. And when I no longer feel that there is, you know, I, I'm going off of it. But I want to say it's not because I think that I've got a lot to say, it's because I learn a lot from people on there and see a lot of there are people that 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 make me think and that make me rethink I'll have had, you know, a certain perspective for all this time. And hmm, I need to really pray that through. And um, I, didn't I don't, know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but who's making you think these days? Well, um, one of the things that Twitter has done is that worlds that were very separate all got thrown into the same fishbowl. So I want you to think this through with me, Carrie. In in the old days, what they would call, I, I wish there was a better name for this, but I would have been more, I would have been in what would be the cultural, the popular cultural um, Christianity kind of uh, realm and that segment of the ministry world where then there was going to be the more academic. This was the seminary world. These were the professors uh, and teachers uh, and those worlds they really didn't mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There was an academic stream, a preaching no, stream, a women's very, stream. Yeah, very separate, very separate. So what Twitter did is it threw us all together. And it's one reason why it has been such a train wreck is because we did not have to reckon with one another. And I have to tell you, I don't, I think that he would not, well, I know that he would not mind. So I, I'm going to tell you this, but I want to, I'll give a perfect example. I, um, through, through Twitter, nothing dumb social media. I came to really think a lot of Russell Moore. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I would, I have to tell you, I, I, I'm going to speak on his behalf here, but I think he would nod to this. He might turn a little bit red, but I think he'd, he'd nod to this. He did not like me and I did not like him. Again, our worlds were so different. I uh-huh. had a big, I had a very narrow a caricature of what he and his kind would have been like, and he would have had the same about me. And here we are, all thrown into the same world, and it's a mess. It is a mess. But I think the good side of it is that we got to know or got to see one another 
so many of us as as actual people and not just positions or caricatures. Oh, that's good. And I think that's been some of the value of it. So in in all our defense, as much infighting as there's been, we are not used to all being thrown in there together. We're not used to being compared to one another. My world would not have touched their world, but suddenly, you know, we are all in disagreements and we're, but we're also very new to being in the same world with one another. We don't understand one another's language. I, I said to a friend of mine yesterday on there, it was using a phrase. I said, okay, okay. I said, I'm not, I said, I need you to explain this to me. And I'm not a seminarian. Talk this way to me. I don't, I don't understand. I said, you know, you can speak to me in a language that I, I can't understand. And so it sort of forced us to have to remember that one another is there and, and that uh, there are people that are way beyond our uh, usual um, uh, circles of contact out there. And that's probably what I, I like about it. So I've had to really you all have had to really come to to grips with that. And some of the things that I uh, would have had very strong feelings about, maybe very strong negative feelings. I've never, ever been uh, anti-seminary uh, ever. I, I would have greatly benefited from it. But just the world's so different. And I would have tended to think, you know, that there was a coldness and a distance and that I came from a much more demonstrative world. But they would have thought, you know, I was crazy and um, and emotional and so those are, those are some things I like about Those are really good thoughts, you know, Beth. I hadn't really thought about it. You sort of reminded me of what social media was when it first came out. And maybe that's why it's so tribal right now is all these people who would have been in their little corners are suddenly thrown into the big public oh, yeah. square. And, and, and I love where it's going with you because I've had that about this podcast sometimes. It's like I've thought about this 400 episodes in or whatever we're at. I will have guests who normally wouldn't be in the same room together. Now, they may not be on the same episode, but I'm like, you know, I found them to be a really reasonable person and I may not agree with everything they say, but it was a really good interview. But you think about it, it's like, well, this person sits over here and this person sits over there, um, but I can bring them together on the same show. And uh, the people who've been around a little bit longer than me will sometimes say, well, why would you have this person and then have this person? They don't agree with each other. I'm like, well, I think I can learn something from both. So you're reminding me of the unif the unifying power of social oh, media. See, Carrie, now that's what I would love best. It will always be. I love that. And I guess, again, I'll take this back to having a a large family and to having very different siblings. And even in our family, mine and Keith raising two daughters, mm. uh, we were all very opinionated, but it's been in our family. It was a very safe thing, a very safe thing. It did um, feeling differently about something didn't ever mean that you didn't like them. That mm. was, a, that was a shock to me. One of the things that God gave me in a whole, um, Oh my goodness, the whole, mix of things that there are so many things that I don't like about myself and that I wish were different. But one of the things that I believe that God gave me just as a gift is I'm always going to naturally like you first. Hmm. I am, um, you know, I, I'm a people person. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't need you to be like me. I, I'm just intrigued about what makes you think. I'm always interested, even if they see something a totally different way. Why is it 
that they see it that way? What is it that has has poured into that? What what's made them? What ingredients have, have come together to make them that particular mm-hmm. person? I, I'm very, very intrigued by that. So uh, that's been something that I find enjoyable. So I love it. I, I, I'm encouraged in the body of Christ as a sister when I see people come together and and as different as they are and owning up to those differences, they still can show uh, graciousness in Christ and um, and like each other, just purely like each other. Uh, I, I love that. I think that's when we see, to me, um, the love of Christ demonstrated most is when we love each someone so much that we know in our natural personality, we would not even like. I have mm. friends that I just adore. And I know that just in my flesh, in the way that my natural personality would go, that I, I would not care to spend five minutes with them. And yet they're some of my very favorite people. And it's just, I, I love that about the faith. And so I love to see that. I, I don't I don't have a lot of respect for people that only spend time. Like if you were hosting a podcast and you only had the people on that believed what you already believed. Why, Carrie? Yeah. Do we yeah. spend so much time reaffirming what we already think about everything? I just I don't understand it. I'm bored by it. I I can't comprehend are we so insecure in what we believe that we are afraid if we hear somebody's um different perspective on it that we that we might then become confused or what but i just i they call it you know it's an overused uh phrase now but uh, an echo chamber but it's so true i mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't enjoy it i don't um i don't find that I don't just, I don't find that compelling at all. One of the things a lot of leaders struggle with, Beth, is when you put yourself out, particularly when it's personally you, and you have almost a million followers now or a million-ish on Twitter, et cetera. But when you do that, you you make yourself vulnerable, you make yourself open, and you've taken your share of hits, as you, as you know. You've been no stranger to controversy <laughs> over the years, uh, and people have felt free to take their shots at you. I would love to know what your filter or line is, because you said some people you kind of have to just go, okay, I need to leave that. I need to walk away. That's a dumpster fire. I need to walk away. But you you strike me as someone who's specifically open, like, no, I'm going to try to learn from this person. How do you not end up letting all of that criticism, um, how do you not take that personally and just implode? I think a lot of leaders are like, I don't know whether I could handle that, Beth. And sometimes I've thought that when I watch you in the middle of one of those debates and I'm I, I like, do. I don't know whether I would be, have that kind of strength, Beth. Yeah, I do. I do get asked that. That may be one of the, the questions I get asked the most, Carrie. And I, I, I am going to try to answer that the best I know how. I do want to say that there are times when it does get to me, mm-hmm. um, there really are. There was a time um, that I had that I had to get off for a month. I mean, a month. And I didn't know when I got off. I didn't know how long it would be, but I got off for a solid month. And that is almost always going to be, you, know, you sort of hate to admit to this Achilles heel, but don't we all, don't we all have one? And I already uh, softly referenced it a minute ago anyway, but that's going to be when it's, most personal to me, like if it's coming from my own, my own world or my own tradition or the people that, that 
I would have spent a whole lot of time just shoulder to shoulder with and and uh, served alongside and loved um that that's the kind of thing that's going to hurt the most and mm. i'll give you if we can just be uh candid i'll give yeah. you an example of it yeah so let's just let's just go ahead and get very specific examples um i'm trying to think i think it was a year ago so i'm not sure when people will be listening to this but at this point, it would have been about 18 months ago, I made a smart aleck comment um, and I was I was being funny and I regret it. Mm. I regret it. But it was in a, you know, so, sometimes we forget we're answering somebody over here in a little dialogue and we forget that everybody's seeing it. Yeah. It was just something that was kind of funny. And a friend of mine um Mother's Day was coming up and she said something about speaking on Mother's Day. And I kind of smarted off back with her. I said, but let's not tell it. And it was like me, too, that I was speaking at my church on Mother's Day. And um, it caused. An explosion, Carrie. An explosion, the likes of which we were in the middle in my denomination of the biggest sexual abuse scandal in our history and this became the biggest topic it exploded it as if i were going as if i were after someone's pulpit and you you need to understand something carrie i i come from a very conservative part of the body of christ and i um I have never had sights on being, I've never even been on a ministerial staff of a church. Mm. The only time I was ever paid by a church was when I taught aerobics part-time in my 20s and early 30s, Carrie. And so, you know, I've, it was inconceivable to me. It was inconceivable to me. It was Mother's Day. And I I do think these are just differences in in interpretation, but I do think there are times when um a woman could be asked to address a people or a, a congregation that is mixed. It's just something I, I and so, so the issue was, just in case yeah. there's any listeners wondering what what is the issue here? What are we talking about? It's women preaching, right? Yeah. Right. Please know if you're we, we realize that our audience is very, very broad today. But you need to know that in my world there, it, it goes all the way from in my tradition, all the way from really hardcore uh, complementarians to uh, to what <laughs> Ed Spencer asked me right in the middle of it. He said, Beth, I'm going to. He said, well, what are you? And I said, well, I, Ed, I don't know what I am. And he said, well, and I'm going to ask you some questions and I want to know um, what you believe. So he asked me this, asked me this. He goes, OK. He said, you're a soft complimentary. I'll never forget it. It was the funniest thing. I said, okay, that's what I am. So, um, uh, but it it exploded in such a way that it was so overblown and so, and it was my own world. And I still, it's not very often that I could talk to you like this and have, I could feel the emotion in my throat, but I can right now. It was that, it was that personal because I was, I thought I, I've served this denomination all all my adult life i've never i've never been a threat to anyone's pulpit never never 
I've loved it and given it everything I had and it hurt my feelings. I mean, it, it, it got me. But so then let me tell you, a couple of months go by and then the thing comes out of, I'll not get, get into too far into this, but we're a very well-known pastor who's putting on a pastor's conferences and he's in a Q and a, and they said, we're just going to say a word to you and then give us your, you know, one or oh, two yeah. words response. And, and they said, Beth Moore. And he said, go home. Well, hmm. it bounced right off of me. Like it had no, really that one didn't get to you. Nothing. It bounced right off of me. For one thing, Carrie, I don't know any other way to say this. I am a train wreck in so many ways, but God called me. I am certain there is no way I surrendered to him when I was 18 years old. I have not managed to run him off into all of this time. And I have given him every conceivable opportunity. I could not possibly have accomplished what he's done. I didn't have it in me. There is no, none of it makes any sense. He alone could have done it. Mm. So I, that is nonsensical to me yeah. that it, you know, it's like, you know, take that up with the Lord. Um, because, you know, as far as I know, he told us all to go, go out there and carry the gospel and, you know, in our homes and outside our homes. And so, no, it had no penetrating effect whatsoever. Isn't that fascinating? I, because I would have assumed that that one hurt badly. None. None. It was so absurd to me. It just was like that. that I'll hand that to the Lord. It's so, it's, but it was see, wounds it was, from a friend. It was wounds from the inner circle. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was you. You, y'all know me better than this. Right. And so I didn't know a, a lot of those pastors, but it's like, dudes, I have been serving your women for years. I, when have you ever gotten the idea that I was after your pulpit? Right. So it was coming for you. It yeah. hurts so badly, and uh, it 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 was pretty scarring. But so it's a very odd thing. All that to say, so the more distant it is from me, um, and so so much of the trolling and all, yeah, you know, and I can deal with that. But if it's like you know you knew better than that, and you made a big deal out of something that wasn't big. It wasn't big. It just wasn't big. It's yeah. absurd to think that a woman could not speak to a people on Mother's Day. I can tell you, Carrie, you have been a lot of things, brother, but you have never been a mother. I'm uh, just very saying. true. So resilience. Um, a lot of people would have just quit. They would have said, you know what? I'm, I'm not coming back to Twitter. Or frankly, this isn't worth it. Like I give my life to serving the church. It turns around, stabs me in the back, or they become cynical. I'm just wondering, like, I, I pick up a lot of hope in you. I pick up a lot of joy in you. I find that you have a very positive voice. What makes you resilient after all of these years of rejection and hurt and obviously some success as well? Okay. Well, you just said it in a portion of that sentence after all of these years. And Carrie, wouldn't you agree with this? Uh, I love, this is when I wish we could picture like, a number of young women and young men that are just starting out in ministry yeah. was my very favorite groups on earth to be able to speak to so that we can speak into them and say that 
you know, the Lord is so faithful to us. He's just so faithful to us. And there have been times that I've been tempted to drop out of the public eye, Mm. but I have never, Carrie, not for 10 seconds, been tempted to stop serving Jesus. Mm. He truly, he is, I can hardly talk. I'm either going to grin from ear to ear talking about him, or I'm going to want to cry about him. But I, he is the absolute love of my life. And the only reason I'm in one piece. And so I'm just in it. I'm in it with him to the last breath. You know, I just know. And the other reason through that period, through a period of time in 16. So in 2016, again, this was so early on that all of the getting hit so hard was shocking and so it was a lot like a. It was like standing in front of a um, of, of a of a firing squad. It, it was quite it was quite undoing. But I kept thinking about young women, and not just young women, but just women that didn't have many many women out there that they had the opportunity to see. Are they going to let them run them off or are they going to stay Mm -hmm. and um i could not live with thinking that a 25 year old would have looked to me and watched me be easily run off and bullied i couldn't i have a responsibility to her yeah and um i would There were some days, it's been a long time since I've been here, but there were some days that I think, oh my goodness, the last thing on earth I want to do is open up social media. Because I, I mean, it was just constant. It was constant. Hundreds and hundreds, Carrie, hundreds and hundreds of people just saying, oh, I was called everything you can imagine. But I would think, "Uh uh-uh. No, every day I thought, I'm getting on. If all I've got to say is, man, that was a great breakfast taco. (laughs) I am going to get on there today if it is the last thing I do, because there might be some young woman. I mean, listen, the enemy wants us to, I believe in a real life devil. I believe in demonic forces and spiritual um, uh, powers of darkness, just like Ephesians 6 says. And there's a force. The enemy wants us to quit. He cannot take what Jesus has given us, but he can certainly uh, try to uh, go after our effectiveness and our fruitfulness. And, we just, we got to get it in our head. We got to get it settled. I, I talked to someone not long ago and I said, you know what? You keep trying to decide over and over whether or not you're going to quit. And I said, I keep watching this. I said, you're going through torment because you, then again, you go through the next trial and it's, am I going to quit? And I, am I going to quit? Am I going to quit? I said, you're in this cycle of, am I going to quit? I said, there are some things that need to be resolved. And so, what I'm resolved to is I'm not quitting. So there's other questions past that, but I'm not quitting Carrie. So that I don't not, I don't ask myself that anymore. I don't ask myself if I'm going to have prayer time today. There are certain decisions I've already made and those are decisions. Those are, but that's resolved. And I'm just, I'm God help me and God sustain me and God, fill me and God forgive me as I 
wobble all over the place and blow it a thousand times. But God help me. I have made up my mind. I, I'm not going to quit. So um, it just simplifies things. That's such a good um, perspective. You know, I have over the last couple of years moving into this founding pastor role, I got a vision for my life at 80 that I prayed over, discerned with friends and everything. And it makes it so easy to say, well, that's like decades in the future, but I kind of think I know where it's going and it just makes all the other decisions easier. And maybe there's a slight left turn or right turn here or whatever. But, you know, if you know, okay, at 80, this is what it looks like. It's like, oh, I can reverse engineer that. Oh, that's beautiful. Carrie, I love that. I'm going to be giving that a lot of thought because just to have that trajectory because I do ask people from time to time, where is it you want your life to end up? What yeah. do you want it to look like? When mm-hmm. is a picture you were on your deathbed and you're able to have, you know, you, you're able to reason and you're able to have glanced back over it. What do you want it to look like at that point? And then the very simple question here is it's the most elementary thing. Are you headed that direction? Correct. Because yep. just, just this make a turn. Don't wait till five years from now. Are you then have you shifted just I mean, just like a quarter turn to your right or your left? Where is it you want this thing to turn out? And are you headed? Not are you there? You're, you won't be. No. There. But are you headed that direction? Are you pressing on? Not that you have attained, um, as the Apostle Paul said, but that you are pressing toward that. I think that's a great idea. And maybe somebody's takeaway on this is, yeah, I'm just going to decide today. I'm going to stop debating quitting. And oh, yeah. that solves so much. It's like, oh, it solves so much. I'm just in this. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, that doesn't mean you're not, that there, there's, there may be. Uh, yeah, you might change churches yeah. or jobs yeah. or something, but you're not leaving yeah. ministry. You're not leaving leadership. That's right. Ah, now speaking, let's go back to a few years ago. You studied political science. I did. Tell me all about that. What made you go into poli-sci? Oh, I loved it. The big question is what made me go into ministry? Yeah. Truly, because I loved government. That was my, you know, I just, I I think that it's kind of that right brain, left brain thing. Uh, There are people that really love science and math and then other people that really love English and and social sciences and social studies. And I was, you know, in, in that latter category, I loved, I was a, a, a political science major in college and an English minor. Those were the things that I loved. And I had terrific uh, teachers. I went, I was raised in Arkansas, but in the middle of high school was uh, moved you know, with my family. My dad got a job in Houston, went from a small town in Arkansas to Houston, Texas, of all things. But I was moved into a big 5A school where they're just, you know, the best of teachers. And I just had tremendous um, instruction. And so you tend to love whatever your best teachers did. Mm -hmm. And they were so fascinating. And it was just a world that I very much loved. And I thought that I would um, be a lawyer. And I thought, I believed that I would go into government. And uh, that's what my grandfather had done. And I, I had uh, thought that I would like to do the same thing. And so, it, but in the middle of college, so I all, I did everything with pre-law in mind for my um, undergrad years. But then uh, my calling came right in the middle of it. And it was so confusing because I knew 
that I had received a call, but the Lord had not given direction. Like there were people that go, I was called to preach or I was called to the mission or I just was called period. The best way I know to explain it is that I sense that the Lord was just going like, you're mine. Mm. You're mine. And I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything, but it was unmistakable. And it was from one, I mean, like one moment, life was one way. And the next moment it was another, it was that dramatic. It was one of the most dramatic things that had ever happened to me. And, you know, I've taken so much heat. This is also something I shrug my shoulders a little over because there's nothing I can do about it over being, you know, people will say, well, you know, she's mystical. Um, But I cannot deny some of the ways that God has dealt with me. A, A huge mistake was assuming that because I understood that and that those things that happened to me, that that would be everybody else's experience. That's Mm. where I really was an idiot. But why God has worked this way with me, I don't know, but he has, but he has. Um, There have been some things that there's just, I don't know how to explain them. I I don't know how to explain them. And my my calling was one of them. a supernatural call. So I'm also a poli-sci major. Mm -hmm. I absolutely did. Where in a moment, I sensed the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd been uh, saved since childhood. I had a moment where uh, I sensed the power of the Holy Spirit, and I knew that I had been that I that He was like, "I own your future. Hmm. You are mine." And there's never in all of these years that was eighteen, and I'm sixty three, and not. I have not had what I praise the saving, gorgeous name of Jesus to be able to tell you I've never had one doubt. And I have done everything there is to disqualify myself. I mean, I, you talk about an idiot, you know, oh, my gosh, I, I absolutely destroyed every qualification I might have had before I could even get off the ground. And he was like, you know what? This is going to all be what do, great. What do you mean by that? How, how so? Oh, you know, Carrie, I had a rough, rough time. So um, I, I hate to even. You're such a happy person, and I'm a happy person too. I hate to get, <laughs> to get into this because this is the the this is the dark part of my story. But I came from a very, very troubled home. Yeah. I come from a background of uh, of sexual abuse, mm. and it happened. I don't tell who, but I have been open with the fact that it happened inside my home, and um, that one reason why I have been that I love the church so much is Carrie church. And we talk about the church, which is all of us in Christ all across the globe, but now church. And I'm talking about my local church. Good grief. Carrie. I mean, it was my Harbor. It was my salvation. I'm not one of those that can say, you know, I was abused at church. I was abused at home. My safe place was church. I can honestly tell you, oh my goodness, the best memories of my life. And I was also loved at home, you know, got a big family, a lot of things happen and a lot of problems between my parents and just a lot of instability in my home. And so it was pretty dark. And, you know, I, uh, I made decisions out of that darkness. Mm. I 
mm. made just very poor, very poor relational decisions, just disastrous um, the th- kinds of things that a godly young woman would not do. And yet <laughs> I loved the Lord and made every possible stupid mistake. Mm. And I love Terry. I loved him. Mm. I loved him. It was like I could not stop, and I would get out of, um, uh, you know, I because the Holy Spirit dwelled in me. And so this was after my comments. was eighteen. I had not even begun to make mistakes. You know, I just it was still oh god. But um, I would be so repentant and sorrowful, and truly, truly, because I loved the Lord, and. Um, he pulled me out of that pit and I'd start walking again. And before long, I'd fall right back into it. And it really, honestly, it took years. My, I had so much brokenness and so such a broken view of my worth that honestly, I wish so much. This was what didn't happen. You know how I told you that that moment of my calling it was like one second. It was this way. One second. It was. A, yeah. I give any if my healing had been like that, Terry, <laughs> but it's not. Oh, what that's such a good distinction: calling versus uh, healing. Uh, wow, Beth. Oh, so what happened with me that strengthened me and remade me happened slowly, and it happened. Because I, when I tell you the Lord lit an appetite in me to study the scriptures, I'm telling you voracious. And it was when I was 27 and I I still have it. He has maintained it all of these years. And I don't mean that every day it's just like, you know, a flame, but it's an, at least an ember. It's warm every day. And uh, other days it's like a flame. It's just like a torch, like a bonfire. Like this morning, even I was just like, um, my face uh, right in it, but literally, you know, the, 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 where the scripture, the concept that scripture teaches of uh, the renewing of the mind, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then in second Corinthians 10, um, three uh, through five, when it talks about taking our thoughts captive to the knowledge of Christ and tearing down those strongholds, what happened with me is that I studied, I loved it so much and I loved it because of Jesus. I, I, um, one of the most wonderful things that the Lord ever taught me to do is I, I never was, I didn't learn to study as apart from him. Okay. It was very involved with him. So it wasn't, I don't, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. You can study the word and God's word and God be left completely out of it. You don't even have to be saved. Um, but that wasn't the case with me. He, he drew me into it and his spirit met me. I, on those, I mean, he animated those those pages for me and just, you know, exhilarated me. And and so it was years of that, Carrie, that he was just remaking my mind. Just re just I wish it had just been in an instant, but it wasn't. It just years and years of studying and memorizing. And this morning, I hope I'm not talking too much. Am I talking too no, much? This is great. Okay, this morning I was on a walk with him and I was reciting some of my my chapters to him. And I just this is gonna sound so sappy and, and it is it is sappy, but I just 
oh, I just wept to him this morning with joy, not with sorrow, but with joy. I just said to him out loud, you saved my life. You, I ought, I ought not be alive. And if, if, if I were alive, I'll, I, sh- I should have just, I was so self-destructive. I don't know how I didn't burn it all down. And it's just him. It's just him. And so, you know, as much as I wish it would have been overnight and it would have saved me so much pain, uh, at the same time, it's what caused me to fall in love with the healer instead of just being infatuated with the healing. Mm. You know, I don't have just one story for you about my healing. It's is still going, you know, Carrie. Well, <laughs> mine is so too. Mine is too, Beth. How, how do you battle self-destruction? It's a pattern I see in leadership. Oh, it's, it's something awesome. I think to one extent or another we all struggle with. I know I do. I can self-sabotage. Oh, me uh, too. How do you battle that? You know, I think it is that daily process when we're when our practice is to be with him, hmm. then we are having to bring that to the forefront. I also know, and somebody listening, I'm just hoping so much they're going to get some encouragement right here. I also know that it is that self-loathing and that deep insecurity that sets me off on a bad path every time. That When I look back over my most disastrous decisions, it was because I continued to go with that. Mm. So I know, you know, it's like that when you hit, when a child hits that, that, that uh, burner on the stove and, and gets burned. It's like, I now, when I reach toward it, it's almost like I could hear the spirit of God going, you, you really want to touch that because do you remember how that's, you know? And, and so I would say to you, you to get to someone listening, to start, being very aware of what the triggers are that cause you to go into that self-destructive cycle that, that go from the thought into somehow acting on it. Mm. And um, that that's where you want to deal with it is to bring it right in that stage. Okay, Lord, I'm, you know, I've told him so many times I am so, I am so down on myself and so tired of myself. I'm so sick of myself. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really need him to, to minister to me. So I have to hit it at that point. And, and so what if I don't, what if I do, you know, spiral into, I'm so irritable in such a dark place for three weeks that I can hardly lift my head. Well, then he still loves me and he still picks me up. Mm-hmm. But my normal practice is to try to catch it. If we're in a, in a, in a habit, in a the spiritual discipline of bringing ourselves before the Lord, daily or almost daily, um, then we, we are in practice of going, this is my, this is my state. This is where I am today. And it's not very pretty. And Lord, this is what's got me in trouble a lot of times. And, um, you know, I've had to have a, have a real honest relationship with him because I have such a, because I've been such a train wreck, you know? Mm. And I, I don't want to poke inappropriately and we can move on if you're not comfortable answering, but what would be an example of one of one or two of those self-destructive tendencies? Because I do think you're reading a lot of leaders mail right now. Okay. Well, for one thing, I promise you, brother, I would have burned my marriage down. I, mm. promise, I promise you. 
um, there is just no way except for the Lord's help that I would not have destroyed my marriage one way or another hmm. and given up on it and not had the tenacity uh, to do it. Um, I can tell you that for certain. I can tell you that you can, for what I do, you can get one of the things about being a teacher and a speaker. Oh, uh-huh. my goodness. Carrie, I taught Sunday school for 23 years. And one of the the best favors that it did me is that I didn't have the choice about whether or not I was going next Sunday because I was the teacher. Right. So you're kind of like, well, I think I have to do this, right? Yeah. Exactly. So we're, you know, there are pastors listening. There are other teachers that are listening. And, you know, this is the beauty of it is that where other people would get to go, I will never do that again. I mean, I had so many times that I would adjust that rearview mirror in my car where I could look straight at myself and go, did you call that a youth? Did you call that a lesson? Because that, that, that was the biggest mess, you know, where you just go, I've embarrassed myself so badly. And, you know, just taught, been dumb, just said dumb stuff, Carrie, just said dumb stuff. Are you hard on yourself, Beth? I am. (laughs) I am. But then it would be like, go back after it, go back after it and get back up there. And one thing uh, that God, he did, he did put a, a spring on my behind. I do get knocked down, but for whatever reason, he has put a spring on me where Tigger gets right back up and goes uh, at it again. But I, I definitely would have destroyed it. I would have. Um, and the Lord, that's the that's the power. That's the strength, the sustaining power of the call. He, as First Thessalonians 5 says, he who called you is faithful and he will surely do it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, I mean, I, I get that too. There's a push-pull to intimacy and closeness that I yeah. still battle to this day. It's like, well, you can come in, but not that close. Yeah, right. That's, uh, right. that's something I'm familiar with. Um, and can you deal with failure, Carrie? Oh, yeah. Deal, um, we, are, we are going to fail. Mm. We are. And so... Can we deal with it? Or did we really think that all of this was based on how good we were <laughs> instead of the pure grace of God? And I, I think that is a big question there. And I, I got to tell you something, Carrie. I, this is a conversation that would be interesting to have with a lot of leaders because a lot of us would feel real differently about this. I do believe that anyone can be restored And in fact, I believe that it is crucial that people are restored to that they get to in some way, in some fashion, somehow serve God in some way that produces some fruit, whether it is in a parking cars at the church for people that are visiting or whatever it may be. Listen, I, I know that there are areas of failure that where that person does not need to be back, restored back into that position right. or back into that place. But I cannot read the scriptures and come away from it thinking that anyone is past being forgiven Fully, re- if they're willing, if they're willing, and there's yeah, fruit yeah. in us, 
We don't have to sit back and go, I wonder if they repented. There is never a person who is repented is going to be humble every time. They're not going to be prideful and entitled. There's going to be fruit of repentance. If there's fruit of repentance, that that, that person could be fully restored and that there'd be something useful for the mm. Lord. Maybe they're just, their place is prayer. They just get a list of people they pray for. But I just, I believe in, uh, I believe in forgiveness of sins. I believe in restoration and I believe that we confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we do live in this cancel culture moment where it's like one more strike and you're out or just the wrong word. Right. Which, which is interesting. I'm, I'm starting to see a theme as we continue this conversation. You're in the public square. You refuse to give up on people who disagree with you. There's stuff that hurts, but you're not going to quit. Um, one of the best voices I've ever heard on restoration is Gordon McDonald. He wrote ordering your private world, but he also wrote a book called rebuilding your broken world, which I think is fantastic. And he outlines. Oh, I have not read that, Carrie. I'm going to get it. That is a great book, Beth. And he outlines this process, one that actually he went through when he had uh, that tough season in his life. Um, but you basically surrender yourself to other people, to a trusted counsel that yes. helps restore you, make okay. sure that you're okay. And when they say, not when you say, but when they say you're ready to go back in this capacity that's when you humbly go back. And I thought, you know, that's what's missing in this culture because, you know, I decided to cancel you and you're gone. So yeah. that I just decided, and now you're banished to the wilderness. You're the scapegoat. You're gone forever. Your life has no purpose or, or no hope of redemption, which, it's, which it's I not, think. It's not gospel. That is it's gospel. Not. And the instant and, like, hey, I said I was sorry. Like, just give me, get, get me back in there right now. That's not the answer either, is it? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Because that, that's not true repentance. I love where it says in Galatians 6, 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with genuine, uh, with a, a gentle spirit. But that you who are spiritual, it is plural. And I think about this, it's the person uh, who has fallen into sin, and then it's you, it, that's going to be a plural. And I love that, I, that when there's a, a a small group of people that gather around someone that's really blown it, really, really, um, really fallen into something deep. Um, I, I love that, where it's not just a one-on-one. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. That, that, that person can be manipulated. That, but when it's a group of people and everybody is um, able to watch and test the spirit and take the time Man, take the time. Don't rush it. But I tell you, you got somebody that's pushing and elbowing their way back. They are not ready. Mm. <laughs> There's got to be that that renewing of the mind and that that um, that uh, fruit of repentance. But uh, oh, God's God's so faithful. God's so faithful. If we'll let Him do it, let Him take the time with us and the healing with us. There's just nobody He can't restore. You've talked about young leaders and you love building into young leaders. Mm-hmm. But when you were in your 20s, even early 20s, late teens, you get called into ministry, you're gods, but you don't really have a whole lot of female role models in ministry, particularly in your tradition, which was completely male hierarchy. Right. What was that like for you? And how did you hang on to that call? Uh, you know, 
I wouldn't have even known what I'd love to tell you. And I'm going to tell it in brief, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. 18. I was always, Carrie, in my tradition, one of the best things that my tradition had to bring to the mix is that we were taught very early on to serve. Like it just never occurred to me. I had no concept of that you would just go to church on a Sunday. That's just not the way we were discipled. Right. We we were raised to serve. By the time I was 12, I was serving. And I know that it was 12 because I would have come out of vacation Bible school. When you age out of vacation Bible school, then you start helping with it. And so, you know, I would have been been in someone else's class and been, you know, one pouring the Kool-Aid or passing out the cookies or just helping line up the children or whatever. So I started serving when I was, uh, when I was 12 years old and then, um, on to, uh, on to my calling. But, uh, these were things that we were, you know, raised up uh, to do and to uh, be involved in it and to be part of of uh, what's happening in in the local church. And oh, Carrie, I'm trying to think where you were heading me that I went into that story. No, I'm wondering about your mentors, who your mentors okay. were, because there so, weren't a lot of open doors okay. for women so leaders. I was, when I was 18, um, they it was in the summer. And I had uh, gone back home to Houston from college and was uh, serving my church, just like I would always do. I was helping with the Sunday school class. And so they said, OK, we we don't have a anyone to go as a sponsor with our sixth grade girls to um, to what was it was a, our uh, missions camp. It was mm-hmm. called days at that time. Our girls auxiliary uh, camp. We need somebody that would go with them. And I was like, well you know, I'll go. And I said, am I too, am I too young to go? And they said, well, no, we don't suppose you are. And all it would mean is that I stayed with them in their little, in their cabin. And I I was their, you know, I was their sponsor at camp. And so, uh, you know, other people took us. And so I was with all of these um, sixth grade girls and I had been teaching them in Sunday school anyway. And so we were at camp. And so please just picture any kind of summer camp a church camp. You can you can mm. picture all of our cabins looked exactly the same. All yep. of the bunk beds looked exactly the same. I'm in this concrete bathroom, and um, that literally this is how how unimpressive it was. This said you have to know it was the spirit because here I was. I mean, why in the world couldn't it have been out like by a lake? But it was there that I encountered that move of the Holy Spirit, and so I didn't know what to do. I, I thought, well, I don't. I don't know. I don't even know what just happened because there was no manifestation. I had no manifestation. I just knew. And so I went to this. I had to have been the Lord. I went to the camp director and I said, I can I tell you something? And she had the wherewithal to look at me and go, Beth, you have received a call of God. And she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go right back to your church and on Sunday, because in our tradition, there's an invitation at the end of uh, the service that come forward if you're giving your life to Christ or if you're surrendering. It, we would say back in that day, Carrie, and maybe in your role as well, surrendering to um, full-time vocational service. And she right. said, this is what you're doing. So she said, you go and you tell your pastor. Well, I did. The next Sunday, invitation time came. I walked the aisle. I'll never ever regret it. It was the best advice she could have given me because every time I thought back on what a failure I had been and how I disqualified myself, 
I thought about that day that I walked the aisle in front of my church and my pastor presented me to my church and my church members came up and shook my hand and 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 embraced me and spoke words of blessing over me and I knew that it was that it was real. So after that it was like Whoa, what on earth do I do? I just I didn't know anything to do. What can a woman do? And so I just I finished out my degree and thought, well, this is going to be the biggest waste. What in the world? Nothing's more nothing is more useless than a pre-law degree when you don't go. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I got my teacher's certificate. I thought, well, I can fall back on that. I could teach political science. I would love that. And I, you know, I did do that in um student teaching, et cetera. But um all I had. There, there was a woman at my church that was a speaker, and I, she became my mentor. But I, I wish that I could stand up and show you how she would do because she was the kind that she would go and you, she would speak at women's luncheons and you know different dinners and events. In those days, Carrie, we always had like a fashion show first. We'd come a long, long way. <laughs> women's ministry a long way, but she would stand right at the microphone. You know, her notes would be there and she was just like, always just like dressed a certain way. And oh my goodness, she attended my classes all the way to her, nearly to her death, as long as she possibly could into her early nineties. Every once in a while, I would look at her and I could see the look on her face that, oh gosh, I created a monster. Because <laughs> I, you know, I just bounced off the walls, but I, I had her And she was the one that told me, she said, I had done, I told you that I taught aerobics at my church. Listen, people can laugh at that if they want. But I, I mean, it was, we had a blast and uh, I spoke, she had me speak on it, on Christian fitness. This was in, in, in my early twenties at a conference where she was the keynote and she stayed for that little breakout. Remember, Carrie, when we used to do breakout sessions? Mm-hmm. Remember those days? There'd be the keynote. And, and then, then the we'd go the speakers yeah. all through the breakouts, you know. And so uh, she stayed after. And she said, you are called to speak. That was the first person that had ever said that. And so she was a role model for me. Um, and a couple of women, but I will tell you, no one did, I didn't know anyone, I wouldn't have had any place to put the ministry that God ultimately entrusted to me because I would not have even, I would not have known it existed. Mm. And so every year of my ministry life to this day, what I minister out of is the overflow of what's going on in my own relationship with Jesus. So it was always that my passion for him and my passion, I have always believed, I still believe, and I will not let this go. And I will not, I cannot be convinced otherwise. This is the, I am more stubborn about this right here than I guess anything else. I will not accept that something about me made me special where the word was that brilliant to me and Mm. that Lord Jesus has been this thrilling to me. I have to believe with all of my heart that anyone can enjoy him like that and enjoy his word. And so that's been so much of what has that 
that wanting other people to enjoy him and wanting other people to enjoy the scriptures, it overcame my fear because I do, I do still get nervous before I speak. Mm. You know, I'll have, you know, I'll feel anxiety. I, I worry sometimes afterwards. Oh God, that was awful. You know, yeah. other times, you know, don't feel that way, but I'm, I'm um, weak in my natural self, but my, I want people, I want people to enjoy him. I mean, just been the, the love and joy of my life and life's hard. I just want them to know him so bad. How do you prepare a message? You're so real in your communication, just like this interview, very transparent, very open, very vulnerable, um, and yet very clear and very anchored in scripture. What are some keys for message prep for you? I, um, so much of it comes out of my own reading. Um, I, I love that because I'll just have my, I've, I've a, just a, a way of, that I approach my daily Bible reading. And so, so much of what becomes a message, I, I, I keep a journal, but I don't write in my journal, like, like a letter. I, it, I'm, I'm recording things like I'll record prayer requests, things that I want to um, pray for people. And I saw one just a couple of days ago over a baby that's um, on the way that's already showing to have you know, serious birth defects. Well, that her name went immediately in my uh, prayer journal. And so I, I keep records uh, like that. But I always keep in the back of my journal just blank pages. And so when I'm doing my Bible reading, I am very often flipping to the back of that notebook and jotting down a concept Uh. because something will be jumping out at me. And um, so I would say, I've I've tried to estimate it. I would say about 80% of what I end up teaching or speaking on has originated in my own reading time. That's amazing. The other 20% of that would be coming from things that like a sermon that I've heard something that's stirred up in me from another source. Like it would be, maybe I'm reading a book or whatever, but here's how it works for me. This is how I know if it's the difference between say, for instance, a social media post or an article or an event or a book. It's all about whether or not I can get the passion to be finally satiated. Mm. So say, for instance, I get obsessed a couple of years ago in my reading of Galatians, just obsessed with it. So I, the first, uh, probably the first thing I'm going to do is, man, that's the coolest scripture. I'm probably going to post something on it. Well, I, then I can't quit thinking about it. And so next thing I know, then it's turned into a message. The next time I speak at an event, I'm speaking out of it. Well, I still can't get it to go away. Well, before I know it, then by the time it will not go away, invariably, I'm about to write on it. This is this is how it's gone for years and years and years. So I've always been able to test it. If I can go to an event, say a Living Proof Live event, which right. is one of all, so I'll speak three times at that event. If when I come home from that event, I'm just like nodding, like that's, it feels complete. Then that gets tucked away or it's going to be used for TV. It's kind of, but that's there. That's there. I might speak on it again. I might not. But if it, if it is a love that will not let me go, invariably that's going to be. So that it just, it builds like that. 
And then my first thing is going to be just to pour over the the passage, you know, again and again and again and, and read it in such a way that I'm emphasizing a different word when I read it. Um, and then I'm going to hit the books. Um, one of the things I did not, I said this toward the beginning, I wish so much I would have, oh my goodness, I would have benefited so much from seminary, but it just did not work out for me. But um, one of the things that I had to learn how to do was just to study. I had to learn how to study secondary resources, how to study a Bible dictionary and how to study commentaries. And so I have really gleaned a lot just from um, being able to go to the giftedness of others that have that those spiritual gifts of knowledge and, and wisdom. And I'm able to, to glean from them. So um, and one of the things I, I love thinking that we've got somebody listening to us or watching that uh, that does this kind of thing that is a communicator. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I pray big things because I've got a lot of responsibility and I pray. I pray very often to grow as a teacher, to keep learning. Uh, when when I quit learning, listen, a teacher that has quit, that is not a student yeah. is a talker. They're not a teacher. <laughs> They're a talker. They just want to talk. So they don't want to teach. Because a teacher, a true teacher is a student first. And so I, I pray, God, please continue to grow me as a teacher. But the other thing, I just do not, I do not shy away. I ask the Lord, I would wonder if I'm going to be calling you about three days from now. I go, could you scratch that part? <laughs> I mean, just like, what can you fault a person for praying? But I ask God to make me accurate and ingenious. And um, I'm I'm sorry if that's offensive to somebody, but I no, I think those are good prayers. I don't think people pray enough. I, I don't either. And it's it's if we're taking credit for, it, we got another problem. But if we're looking to God, Lord, I I'm asking first of all that I am accurate. But I'm asking you, Lord, would you give me ways of teaching, methods of teaching, where my class leaves and is not soon going to forget that. Like, okay, like last Saturday, I, I was talking about prayer and thought, I thought, okay, I want a way. I did a survey to see why, why don't we, why don't we pray more than we do? Hmm. So I took the top nine answers and I turned it into a family feud game, you know, where the top yeah, yeah. Ten, nine reasons why survey we don't says? pray. Yeah. And yes. And then I got two people up to play it. And so, you know, then we flipped the the uh, screen where the answers uh, came out. But I had so many people say after that, I will never forget those because it was silly. It was hilarious, but it was, it was memorable. And I'm going to believe that that was an answer. It sounds dumb, but um, it, I think it was an answer to that prayer. It just caused me to be creative in the way that I am able to, in the methodology, I've got to be accurate. I need to be sound in my doctrine, but in the way that I present it in such a way that it is, uh, it has, is salty and um, memorable. Lord, how do I do that? Mm. So. Are you a manuscript person or more bullet points or how developed is your talk? Bullet points? Bullet points, bullet points, points. And what I do, I leave space in between them. Like if I've got a uh, an event that weekend, 
by by midweek, I'm on my concept and I'm beginning to line out a number of points. Say I'm speaking three times a Living Proof Live, then I'm likely going to make between all three of those sessions, I'm going to make probably not in excess of seven or eight points total, three points per session, roughly maybe one uh, point in the last session. But what I'm doing, I am constantly carrying, depending upon the Lord, I do use older examples and I don't have any hesitation to do that. But I'm constantly asking God, set me up for my lesson. I mean, that that what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, conversations that I'm having, even what happens in the airport on my way, I'm leaving space between it so that literally either that morning before I go to speak or that afternoon before the evening when I go to speak, I wait until then to fill in the space in between. Wow. So that it will be as like, so I've got the, I've got the skeleton, but I'm not going to put that muscle around it until the last minute because it's, I'm going to have waited till then and let it, let that thing cook, let that thing cook and look around me and be aware. I constantly, there's this gorgeous place in Luke's, in, in um, Luke's writing in Acts 16, where he says that God opened Lydia's heart to pay attention uh, to what she was taught. And I, I ask the Lord to do that with me all the time, Carrie, that I'll just pay attention, that I'll watch what's around me, what's what in that conversation, in in the sight that I'm seeing, maybe something that's happening just in nature around me. But um, so it will be as alive as as possible. You know, I well, that's inspiring. And it's nice to hear that at this stage in your life, it's still so fresh, so real, so real time, because it would be easy to coast, wouldn't it? And we've all seen people who have done that. They stopped learning a decade ago, or, you know, it's the same message over and over and over again. So kudos to you. You know, it's, they're, they're not, they're missing, they're missing the best part, mm. Carrie. I hope somebody that's in that trap will hear some hope here and go back to this because when we let everybody do all of that for us and we're not, you know, just like crying out for that wisdom ourselves and, and meeting with God over it, we're just, we're missing the best part. I I love, I love the discovery. I, I love it. I love it so much. I love being able to kind of dig it out, but I got, I got to tell you something funny, mm. you know, but I don't know because of my personality or what, but I just, if it's in the word, I've asked for it. Listen, I would not hesitate to ask the Lord to, I have a donkey that lives next door that I absolutely love. Do not think I have not said to the Lord, if you ever want to make that donkey talk to me, I'll, I just want you to know I'm ready. I would ask him to burn a bush. And I, I just, I, if it's there, if it's available, you know, I just, you know, I'm just adventurous. I'm going to always, uh, always say, Lord, do it. And so um, I, I love uh, living on the edge of that and seeing, seeing what he'll do. And so, you know, I've asked the things that you see in scripture, it says that Moses um, was that, you know, his eyes were still as strong in his old age as they had ever been. And, and then it tells us that Caleb had all that strength in his eighties that he'd ever had and all these. And so I've asked the Lord, all of that, you know, <laughs> Lord, just don't let my eyes wear out. Don't let me, 
you know, just keep me strong. Well, none of that's happened. I have very poor eyesight and wear very thick glasses and I wear, wear very, very strong contacts. Um, I have aged just like everybody else has, but I tell you what he has done because I, I was laughing with him the other day about it because I thought, oh, Lord, I, I've asked all of it. I have asked all of it. I have asked, oh, if you every ecstatic experience, I just, I don't, and I don't understand why people have it. I just don't, I guess we're just all different, but I'm just like, oh, I'll go, I'll go. You're lifting up anybody to the third heaven, I'll go see. I'll just, you know, that's just me. But I realized that no, none of that, none of that happened for you. I, I have all of those aging things, but he has kept that young all of my adult life. That's awesome. Terry, he has. And I, can I hear don't it. I can see it. I don't know. There's no explanation for it. And so I realized here is yeah, you did. You know, I wanted it to be that my eyes never, you know, clouded up, mm. my vision's to all of these things, but you gave me something better. You you sustained a lifelong love affair. Mm. That's a good thought. That's a great thought. That would be, there's a, there's a translation in the message. I think it's the end of Romans or something. I can never find it, but it's like, may you be fresh and celebrating. And I think about that, like that would be great. You know, it's 70 or 80 to be fresh and celebrating. Um, Hey, you've got a brand new book. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it and where people can find you online as well? I bet you're thinking, are you thinking in terms of Galatians? Uh, well, that or Chasing Vines or what else you got? You, you do a lot of writing. So you I can, also you have a new Bible study that's just come out. It's just come out online and then it comes out in regular work, but traditional form in late January on the book of Galatians. And so that's a ton of fun for people that would like to study along with us. I teamed up with my daughter, Melissa, who's a, total brainiac. She really does bring in that whole academic um, uh, edge to it. She is very formally uh, educated as well as just brilliant and quirky and and wonderful and, and interesting. So we have that. But oh my gosh, yes, Carrie, I got obsessed. We I took my daughters on a, a bucket list trip. Oh gosh, I guess it's been about four years ago now, maybe three, maybe three to uh, Italy, and mm. we stayed right in the middle of a big vineyard uh, right at harvest season and wouldn't have had the wherewithal. We, d- we planned the trip when we could go. We did not plan the trip for harvest time. We just planned it when we were able to go. But, oh, oh, you talk about getting a great crush. Uh, so, the, I mean, the vine and the branches came alive to me. So, yes. Yes. And I I smile because I don't suppose I have ever just flat out enjoyed writing a book more in my entire life. I enjoyed every single sentence of writing that book. So uh, Chasing Vines and it is um, uh, just God, um, God's desire to make every single one of us in in Christ immensely Mm -hmm. fruitful, just immensely fruitful. I you, you may or may not be called into some kind of vocational ministry, but I promise you, if you are in Jesus, that it is his very great intention for you to be immensely fruitful. Yes. Mm. 
Well, and uh, any book that starts in, is it Tuscany you were in? Yeah, we, yeah. we vacationed there uh, last year. It was amazing. It was so beautiful. Hard it's, to believe until yeah. you're actually there, right? How gorgeous it is. It really is. Melissa said something. I had both my girls with me. They joke about my best. Those are my very best friends. And um, Melissa said something I, I thought was so insightful. She said, you know, I've never been drawn to, to pictures of Tuscany because they don't look real. <laughs> and she said, the reason why they don't look real is because you're staring at it and it still doesn't look real. It still doesn't. I know. It's 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 insane. Beth, this has been a delight. We'll have to have you back. Uh, I mean, I feel like we just scratched the surface. It's uh, been so rich. So, man, I'm a handful. So, I thank you so much for having me on. Oh, are you kidding me? And uh, I've learned a lot from you and look forward to continuing learning. If people want to find you online, obviously, Beth Moore. And then, what's the end of your handle? Is it LPM, Living Proof Ministries? Uh, yes. Beth yep. Moore LPM. And that LPM, I've been asked so many times what it says for Living Proof Ministries. That you know, the basic it's based on uh, the word being living and active, but the the basic premise of it is that um, you know I, I pray that I and and my coworkers would be reminders that we're living proof God could use anybody, mm. and I believe that Carrie with all of my heart that nobody's beyond being redeemed and being um, being put to to good use and benefit to this world uh, through Christ. Awesome. And online website, easiest place? Uh, well, the, I always am a little reluctant to say this because I, I just hate saying my, my own name over and over. But the easiest way for people to remember it is it's going to be Living Proof Ministries. But BethMoore.org is just the easiest way to remember it. That's our website. Beth, what a joy. Thank you so much for being with Thank us today. You. I enjoyed every second of it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was fun and profound and real. And if you want transcripts or you want to drill down on anything we talked about, you can go to the show notes. They're there for you for free. And you'll find them at kerryneuhoff.com forward slash episode 380. They'll be there for you. Uh, We got some fresh episodes coming up that I'm going to tell you about. Also, what I'm thinking about segment. And I want to talk to you uh, today about why megachurch pastors keep falling. Uh, So I'm going to do that at the very end of the show. In the meantime, who have we got coming up next? Well, I am very excited to talk about cancel culture. Scott Sauls and Sarah Anderson will be my guests. Sarah's book, we recorded this a little while ago, just hit like the top 50 in all of Amazon. And like, how do you really connect with people you disagree with? And what is it with cancel culture? So that's next time. Here's an excerpt. Cancel culture is turned into, we're not making a snap decision um, or snap judgment on what somebody did. We're saying you are bad. I don't want to just cancel this action that you did. I have contempt for who you are. And so there's a way I think that in anger in a way is healthier towards what people sometimes do or have done wrongly because it's saying, I believed you are better than that and you disappointed me. So mm-hmm. anger is telling me there you, there was a bar that I thought you could have reached and you didn't reach it. And so I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated about that. Contempt is saying you there's no hope for you. There's no chance to mm-hmm. kind of fix this. And I think that that's a really dangerous message. So subscribers, you won't miss it. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to catch more, it's simple. Hit subscribe, do it absolutely for free, and then you get all of them on your phone. I only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. So if you haven't done yet that yet, please do it. So it's time for what I'm thinking about. And I am thinking about, with a heavy heart, why megachurch pastors keep falling. And I want to share some theories with you, some things I look at 
in my own life, my own heart. And uh, this segment is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. So you can head on over to check out their new digital growth bundle. It gives you basically a staff member for a fraction of the cost to do everything from web design, um, updates, graphics, and a brand identity package. Go to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. And by Leaders in Living Rooms. Check out Leaders in Living Rooms, a podcast I love and listen to by heading over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you are. Sean Morgan is the host there and he brings you a lot of great guests. So, oh man, unfortunately, this is a repeating story, but megachurch pastors keep falling. And um, I keep asking why. And I think the seeds of failure are in all of us. I think anytime a leader says, you know what, I'll never do that. I'll never have an affair. I'll never take something that doesn't belong to me. I'll never let it all get up, you know, to my head. Yeah, I, I, I think that's very dangerous. I think the seeds for success and the seeds for failure live within all of us. And so this isn't a particular comment on any recent incident. This is something I think about on a regular basis. And unfortunately, well, for years now, we've had uh, megachurch pastors that, uh, that have not ended their ministries particularly well. And I mean, it just hurts so many people. It hurts, it hurts their congregation. It hurts the victims involved. It hurts their family. It hurts them. They're bored, their team, and trust is broken. And so I've got a, a, a few thoughts that that these are just the things I'm looking for in my own life. And when I counsel leaders, these are the things I say, you know, what, what about this? So here's one of the things, because I've, I've, you know, to honestly say our church got bigger than I imagined, even though it's not, you know, one of the biggest mega churches, it got a lot bigger than the six people I started with. And, um, you know, and, and even this podcast and, and the other work that I do in leadership, it just got bigger than I ever expected. But there's a difference between bigger than you ever expected and bigger than you could handle. And I think one of the reasons, and I've, I've talked to leaders who have, have fallen and they're like, yeah, it just got bigger than I could handle. Um, leading something large is not inherently bad. It's not. I mean, if God wants to entrust you with more, that is not a problem. And I've just had to navigate the whole growth journey as well. And I think the caution for me in this is it's way too easy for your platform to outgrow your character. It's not your platform, it's God's, but you've got to make sure that your character grows either in tandem or faster than your platform grows. One of the things I'm really grateful for, you know, I'm in my 50s, but I think if I had the kind of, of, of followership I have now in my 20s, I don't know how that would have turned out. Um, I feel sorry for young leaders who end up with a lot of a celebrity or influence or that kind of thing, because I think it's, it's really complicated. So, you know, if you find yourself in a rapid growth situation, um, just make sure that your character is growing as fast or faster than your platform or your church or your ministry or your business. And that's something I really try to work on. How do you do that? It starts with an hour a day with me and God alone, with the Bible. It starts with an accountability partner. It starts with a, a great marriage with my wife and friends who knew me long before any of this happened. Uh, so pay attention to that. Second factor is um, it's pretty easy to create a world where no one challenges you. Um, as, as you, you know, even if you're a boss, a boss of a small organization or church, you know, you're, you're a pastor, when you have the power to hire or fire people or you are the person who is, quote, in charge, um, it is very easy to create an echo chamber where you have a lot of people who just do what you say. And listen, that's inevitable, okay? If you have the power to hire or fire, if you are responsible for their paycheck, people are going to be afraid to challenge you. 
And so you've got to create an environment where people can tell you the truth. Listen, if you're insecure and we're all insecure, it's even harder because you maybe don't want to hear feedback. You're like, finally, I can get into a place where I can kind of control the information that's coming to me. And I had a friend tell me years ago, you know, Carrie, there's no such thing as bad news because I was in the habit of saying, don't bring me any bad news. He's like, there's no such thing as bad news. It's just news. And I thought that's a really good point. And so what I've done, particularly over the last 15 years, is I've encouraged my team just to give me all the feedback, like push back. And sometimes it takes a little while to train your team to do that and then have other people who are not impressed with you who can speak the truth into your life. And obviously, going to a counselor is really important as well. But you don't want to create a feedback loop where people just tell you things you want to hear. Uh, I've got a lot more by the way, on my blog about this, you can just look at why megachurch pastors fail and search my name and you'll find it. I want to share one more. There's, there's, there's two others that I won't take the time to share today, but I want to share this one because I've seen this very recently in a, in a fall of a, a leader that I admire. And it's, it's simply this. I invested too little time at home. When I look at my life sort of is like pre-burnout and post-burnout. So I burned out in 2006. And I would say in the time leading up into burnout, and I'm so fortunate when I burned out, there was no affair. There was no nothing that disqualified me from ministry or made me take a break. I just felt awful, which, which itself was bad. Uh, but I, I recalibrated a lot of my life around that in 2006. And I look at that first decade of leadership and I didn't spend enough time at home. More people equaled more hours. And since then, the last 15 years, I've spent a lot of time at home, a lot of time building my marriage, a lot of time with my kids, and I'd love to get those first years back, but I just realized if you're winning at work, but you're losing at home, you're losing, and I don't want to lose at home, and eventually, if you lose at home, you can lose your ministry or lose your leadership or that kind of thing, but but frankly, at the end of the day, a lot of the people who follow you, you know, you're going to retire one day, but you're never going to retire from your family. You're never going to retire from being a parent, being a friend, being being a spouse, hopefully, you know, a marriage, I hope, is for life. You want to think about who are those people who are going to be with you when you're 75 or 80, and you want to invest in them the most. And I want to live in a way that the people closest to me become the people who are most grateful for me. And there was a season of my leadership where, you know, I was really impressed with people who thought I was cool but didn't really know me. Uh, and now it's like, yeah, okay, there's a guy in California who thinks I'm a good leader, or likes this podcast or whatever. Um, but what I really care, and, and that's awesome. Like, I don't want people to hate me. On the other hand, uh, what's most important is how are things with my wife, Tony? How are things with my boys? How are things uh, with the people who really know me well? And so you just got to invest more at home because if you're winning at work but losing at home, I think you're losing. At least that's what I convince myself. So those are some thoughts. There's more over on my blog. I also do a uh, almost daily email to over 75,000 leaders. And if you want to um, subscribe to that, it's the easiest way to get my written content and other content. You can just text the word carry, C-A-R-E-Y, to 33777. And that'll give you the link that will sign you up for that email. And uh, I love being able to bring you a little morsel of leadership nuggets every day. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Really excited for the next episode, and I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.